Good morning, transit family. How's everyone doing today? We good? We good? Who's enjoying that cold weather? The brisk cold weather? Everyone's cars start this morning, I'm assuming. Okay, we had one car that uh, didn't start this morning, had to get jump started. Um, and, uh, but we got it figured out, and it was great. So uh, as the slide up there shows, we are in a five-week sermon series entitled The Power of Praise. And what a fitting, uh, this is the last Sunday, but what a fitting kind of crescendo this morning of worship. How was that this morning, huh? Man, that was powerful, so powerful. Um, and these past five weeks, we've been just diving into this topic of what is the purpose of praise? What's the uh, place of praise? What's the power of praise? What kind of is happening as we sing to God? And today, what we're going to be looking at is the pattern of praise. We're going to be asking and um, answering the question of how should we worship? What, what do the scriptures say about how we're to sing to the Lord? Uh, uh, what songs and uh, what are we to do with our hands and what the, the content of the lyrics and all that stuff. But before we dive in, um, someone came in and gave me a, a word the Lord put on their hearts. And I just want to encourage you, uh, if, during worship, if you're praying and seeking the Lord and you feel like the Lord puts something on your heart to share, uh, what we prefer to do is that uh, you come talk to the elders. Uh, that would be Joe Workman, myself, or Saju. And just uh, say, hey, I feel like the Lord put this on our hearts. And it's a way that we value uh, the, the voice of God by the Holy Spirit and also pastorally protect the flock from any abuses of the prophetic at the church. And so I want to share this word. I thought it was profoundly timely uh, for, um, I think, the season uh, that, we're, that we're in. And the word was this that was given to me. The Lord is calling us out of places of comfort. Out of places of comfort. And he will remove our cushions and in turn give us calloused knees. I should just pray and say amen and send you on your way, right? I think that is totally of the Lord, and I think something that the Lord is, is calling us out of. You know, as we want to be a people of faith, what is faith? Expecting the present God to speak and move in our midst. That's what faith is, is that God is present, and he has a lot that he wants to do and a lot that he might want to have to, have to say. And so that's uncomfortable. It's way easier to kind of box out the Holy Spirit and just go from one song to the next, sermon, amen, send you on your way without leaving any space for the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's uncomfortable, and he will remove our cushions and in turn give us callous knees. And I think um, that's something the Lord's put on my heart in this season is to just be, to be praying more. And the Lord gave me, uh, I think, a, a time amount that he wants me to commit daily for prayer. And I think it's just timely. So um, weigh that, sift that, see if it resonates with your spirit. But I, I just wanted to share that because I think it's spot on. Okay, so uh, last sermon uh, on the topic of praise this morning, and I hope it's been life-changing for you. It's been a lot of teaching, a lot of maybe new information for you, but our hope is that for the rest of your Christian faith and journey, that this sermon series will change how you view the power of singing to the Lord. And if we're all honest with ourselves, when we talk about um, uh, how should we worship, how should we sing, we all kind of have different preferences, right? And how we sing praises to God, right? Some of us prefer more of a kind of... Uh, dare I say, Michael Buble worship experience. <laughs> Quiet and soft and, you know, Merry Christmas, you know, just kind of chill, you know, and not a little rowdy. And some of us want a Holy Ghost Palooza, man, with tambourines and flags and fire tunnels, you know, and just get after it, right? If you don't know what a fire tunnel is, don't Google it. Um, <laughs> but we all have these different preferences, right? And that's okay, because God has designed all of us differently. This morning, some of us were shouting in exaltation, 
And, that, and scriptures encourage us, I think that's the natural response when we're blown away at, at, that there is the, the holiness of God, that there's no one like him. And for me, instead of shouting, I actually had to kneel in the Lord, I think, which is ministering to it powerfully. And I was kneeling and I was quiet and I was, and I was just trying to, to, to seek the Lord. I was blown away at his love for me and what he's done, right? It's different. It's different. And the reason I share that is this, is that today what we're aiming at in uh, these next few minutes is we're not going to argue which preference is better. Right? We're going to go to God's word and we're going to see what does God prefer in his word? What are his preferences? What does he exhort us to do? What does he enjoy? What's pleasing to him? Okay, and I think sometimes we have this false notion when it comes to praise because there's often uh, lots of dis- quote-unquote discernment ministries out there. More, the praise police is how I like to call it. And uh, essentially, it's called the regulative principle. That's what theologians call it. The regulative principle, and I call that the tightrope view of worship, is that we can only, here's a small thing, God is very limited in what, in what is pleasing to him. And if we go one step outside, he's going to strike us with lightning when it comes to singing songs to him. So it's only hymns, no instruments, and my hands below the waist. Amazing grace, I'm terrified. Is that too loud? Am I, you know, like, that's the tightrope view of, of worship. The theologians, I would say, that's called the regulative principle. And, 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 and pastorally to you, there's, there's, there's great men of God who've done great things for the kingdom who hold to that. But I would strongly, if you're uh, doing a lot of research as we've been going through the series, and you come across that and come across the blog, I am here today to tell you as a man who has 80 credits from a reformed cessationist university that that is complete, that is, that is just bogus. The normative principle in regards to worship is more of this view, is that um, in regards to uh, singing praises to God, it's not a tightrope, it's more of a playground. And the spectrum's a little bit broader for the guidelines that God gives us. So as a father of three kids, when the father takes his kids to the playground, sure, you set some rules. All right, you three kids, no touching of the hair and face. Uh, here's, the, here's the boundaries of the playground. Don't go into any other like pagan playgrounds. Like we don't want to do anything heretical or adopt any pagan demonic practices in our worship, but here's the rules, here's the boundaries, and then here comes the command. Go play. Go play, right? And so I think the reason I share that is I think... Uh, there's a range that's situational to in the moment of what God is doing in the moment that he prefers. And I think whenever we get into the tightrope view of worship, we get into really dangerous territory because the Lord in his scriptures give us a very broad, beautiful, free, free way to worship him. Okay, so the four things we're going to be looking at uh, today, the four outlines, if you're taking notes, my four points would be the who, the when, the what, and the how of praise. Who can uh, sing praises to God? When should we sing praises to God? What should we sing praises? Uh, what should be the content of our praises? And how should we sing? Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. So, Father, we come before you with reverence and awe, thanking you that you are in our midst. We thank you for your presence, God. There's nothing better. Our hearts cry out, who is like the living God? who is like you, Jesus, opening up your arms and welcoming us with your nail-scarred hands, Lord God, meeting us with your steadfast love and your mercies that are new every morning for us. Thank you for the gift of song. Thank you for the gift of praise. Thank you for the gift of tongues in our mouth and vocal cords to to bless your name, Lord God. We love you. We open up our hearts to receive what you want to give us in your word. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move and you would speak and you would have your way with your people, your precious, beloved bride, and that, Lord, you'd have your way with your word today, and that Jesus would be glorified, our chins would be lifted high to see his glory, 
And I pray, Lord, that up here I would decrease and you would increase. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Point number one, who should praise God? What do the scriptures teach us about who is eligible to sing? Sometimes we think only the spiritual snipers, the SEAL Team 6 people can sing praises to God. And we're kind of disqualified because we don't, you know, uh, uh, see ourselves as the varsity squad. We see ourselves as the JV squad. And what we see in God's word is that God really, really, really lowers the bar in regards to, to who's eligible to sing praises to him. Nay, he removes the bar. There is no bar, okay? Um, there is no bar. And what we see is that the only condition for your praise is a pulse. So if you, you know, if you got a pulse, you are to praise the Lord. And I love Psalm 148. And Psalm 148, we're going to, yes, we're going to read all of it. It lists 29 different categories of creatures and people commanded to praise the Lord. So verses will be on the screen. Follow, this is God's word. Verse 1, 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? For he spoke, he commanded, and they were created to sing to him. They were created to proclaim his excellencies. And he established them forever and ever. And he gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the earth. Watch this. From the earth. You great sea creatures and all deeps. Yes, you jellyfish and you beluga whales. You sing a song to the Lord. Fire, hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and hills, fruit trees and cedars, beasts and livestock, creeping things and flying birds. Yes, even the creepy crawly things, the roaches and the rats. You sing praises to God, and not just the, the low and the creepy and the crawly, but the high and the exalted, kings of the earth, and all peoples, princes, and all rulers of the earth. You dignified presidents and, and kings and, and rulers and mighty generals of war. You raise your hands and raise your voice in worship to the king of all kings, young men and maidens together, old men and we little children. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. And he has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints. For the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. So thankfully, if we're to ask an answer, God, who is eligible to sing your praises? God has made it unabashedly clear, crystal clear in his word, that absolutely everything that only exists because of his spoken command was created for the purpose of seeing his glory, savoring his glory, having it just blow their minds and their hearts and singing about his glory. Seeing his glory, savoring his glory, and singing of his glory. And Jesus beautifully unpacks this. Psalm 148 in his triumphal entry in Luke 19. Look at Luke 19 with me. 
37 through 40. And as Jesus was drawing near to Jerusalem, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, right? He got the, he's on, uh, the king comes riding on a donkey. He's started his procession a couple miles east of Jerusalem. And as he gets closer and closer to Jerusalem, we see is that a crowd begins to get bigger and bigger. And what is this crowd doing to the coming Messiah, fulfilling all the prophecies of Zechariah, the king who would come, the Messiah, to liberate God's people? from their oppression and oppressors. And the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the King, the Messiah, the Christ, who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're seeing the King, they're seeing the Messiah, they're seeing salvation come. And his name is Jesus and they're singing praises that are do his name and then enter the praise police the pharisees here come the praise police in 39 and some of the pharisees in the crowd said to jesus teacher rebuke your disciples because they knew they, they thought they're being blasphemous because they're like hey you can't you can't give your praises to uh to this mere mortal and what obviously what they recognize this is the messiah this is no mere mortal this is the son of god and watch what jesus says Jesus answered, I tell you, if these, my disciples, were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. Now, in the best sense of the term, that's a bad line, Transit Church. That's bad. Like, that's like, man, like, Jesus, what Jesus is saying is, is, look, like, if they don't recognize who I am, the Son of God, the Messiah, the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and they don't sing about it, when I walk past these rocks that I spoke into existence, and, and all, what would happen would be the rocks would see my glory and shout out in amazement of who just walked by them. Oh my gosh, look at the King of glory. The Messiah has come. The stones are crying out. And I love this, this worship song we sing here. I forget uh, who sings it. I didn't look it up. But the refrain is this. I won't let the rocks cry out in my place. Right? You know that song? It's a great song. It's a great song. And so the question that I have for us before we move to our second, second uh, point is this. Is, is in our lives, are the rocks around us having to kind of warm up their vocal cords? and tune their guitar because we've gone silent on singing praises to God, rightly fixing our gaze upon him, blessing his name. Are we letting the rocks cry out in our place? Jesus says, if we go silent, the stones would cry out, the glory of his majesty. And that's the reason we exist. Uh, the reason there's a tongue in our mouth is to bless the name of the one who put it there. So this is who should praise God. Everything and all of creation, most importantly and especially the redeemed of God because Christ to us is not only our creator, he's also our redeemer where he uh, not only just spoke us into existence but where our sins separate us, he died to, to forgive us of our sins and bring us back to God. So now we worship him as yes creator and yes as redeemer and yes as enthroned king of kings. And uh, so that's our first point. Our second point is this, is, well, when should we praise God? Talk about the who. Well, when should we praise God? And simply put, we should praise God every day forever. 
we should praise God every day forever. And so a simple application is that every day there should be a song out of our mouth, the fruit of our lips acknowledging his name, the fruit of our lips acknowledging his name continually, right? There should be a song every day coming out of our mouth. Psalm 145.2 says this, every day, this is where I'm getting the language, every day, forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. That's a daily thing we do. Psalm 34.1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually not sporadically, not just when I feel like it. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And so all that to say that the gist of what we get in the scriptures is it seems like your song to Jesus should be on autoplay. You know what I'm talking about? You're on YouTube and you're listening to a worship song and that worship song ends and all of a sudden, boom, comes another song. And that song ends and then, boom, comes another song. And I feel like that is what the scriptures are saying is that our song to God internally and out of our mouth should be without ceasing. If we're to ask the question, well, why should we have this never-ending, ceaseless song of praise to God? And the simple response is this, because his steadfast love towards us never ceases. That's why our song never ceases, because his, his love is steadfast. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, the context of this is great trial and tribulation that the people of God are walking through. And right smack in the dab of, uh, uh, of, uh, of the middle of Lamentations come this beautiful verse, which says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every morning, if you are in Christ Jesus, that you and I wake up, we wake up in mercy, we wake up in steadfast love, we wake up in the faithfulness of God, we wake up knowing that in Christ Jesus there will never be a supply chain shortage on grace to cover the multitude of your sins, past, present, and future. Every day you wake up, and hopefully maybe we, we pray this, we realize that, Lord Jesus, you have forever washed away my sin. Every morning that I wake up, I wake up no longer under the penalty of my sin. I wake up no longer in the clutches of the demonic because I've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And every morning I wake up in Christ Jesus. I wake up in the hope of glory with no fear of death anymore because Christ passed through death and he rose to new life and in my union with him, he tied an irrevocable chain to my soul with him so that when I go through death, I'm going to rise to new life with him. And that union with Jesus will never be broken. Every day, his mercies are new every morning. Amen. And so my wager to us is this, or my encouragement to us is this, if this is our never-ending reality, then it should be matched with our never-ending song of gratitude and praise to God. This is our never-ending reality. Eternity starts now. No fear and death. Sin, death, devil, no longer have any hold on us, no claim on us. And often we forget that. And so I got a, a word sent to me. Someone was praying and seeking the Lord in our church. And they said, hey, I really feel like the Lord put it on my heart uh, that uh, we as a, a body of believers should just be memorizing Scripture more. Should be memorizing Scripture. And uh, I, I received that word. I'm like, you know, the Lord's been kind of putting that on my heart. And so something that I'm doing and I want to invite you into this week is what would it look like for us to read Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 every morning to memorize that this week?
and let that, as we, as we meditate that, I did this this morning, and I'm saying, Lord, your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies are never going to come to an end. This is a new morning of your grace and your mercy and your faithfulness to me. And because your mercies are never ending, I'm going to praise you this morning. I'm going to start my morning off with that as my core reality of my life and the song being loosed out of that. So that would be my wager. Just start doing that. Lamentations 3, uh, that verse 22 through 23, meditate on it, pray on it, memorize it, and just begin to see what the Lord does and what songs come out of your mouth as you reflect upon what is your standing, your status in Christ Jesus, okay? Thirdly, what should we sing to God? Here's where it gets a little maybe uncomfortable, all right? Here's the million-dollar question. So we've looked at who can sing. We've looked at when should we sing. And now we're going to look at, well, what should the content of our songs be? What uh, lyrics should we sing? There's a ton of debate about this, right? There's a ton of people that uh, would suggest that we should never, ever, ever, ever at all sing any songs by certain churches outside of our tribe and all that stuff, right? And let it be said from the outset that discernment is extremely needed in the body of Christ. It's a gift of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, the discerning of spirits, okay? So we have to be uh, discerning, and we want to be discerning. We should not be singing heresy, obviously, and we should not be adopting overtly pagan practices in our worship, where those that are into the occult or kind of Eastern religions will kind of, you know, uh, do certain things that Jesus even says in Matthew 6, like, this is what the pagans do. Don't do what the pagans do. This is how I want you to worship me. So let me just say that from the outset. Obviously, we need discernment. And uh, uh, in, in the songs we sing. So the question that we're going to look at for this point is, well, what are the guiding principles that we find in God's word to determine what songs we should sing? What, what should the lyrics be about, okay? And the first principle uh, that we see throughout the scriptures, and I talked about this at length last week, is we are not commanded just to sing songs. We are commanded to sing to God. Every time that we are commanded to sing, we are, it's, it's a personal connection with the living God that we're singing praises to God, not just into the, the you know, the, the ether, if you will, or not in the echo chamber. Like we're not just singing because it's efficacious and science would say that has benefits. We're singing unto God. So if that is true, what scripture it says is true, then the first and foremost principle that we want to hold to in the content of our songs is this, is the content of our songs should be God-centered and Christ-exalting. It should be God-centered and Christ-exalting. It should be about all about this is who my God is. And this is all that he's done for me in Christ Jesus. And we're reminding our souls of the victory of the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus and where he's seated and what he's already done. And that's the principle is that um, pray, our praise should be about the one we're singing to, not about the people singing. Okay, now with that said, with that said, God's word absolutely gives us the lyrical freedom to sing songs as his people crying out for more, crying out for intervention, even doubling down on our commitment to him. We see that throughout the Psalms. There is a call and response pattern throughout the scriptures where God says, uh, I will be your God and you will be, be my people. And then the people respond and make their covenant back to God. And they say, you will be our God and we will be your people. And so there's, there's a song, uh, old school song that I like to jam out to. I'm desperate for you, right? Or, or, or as the deer pants after water. So my soul, you know, like well, that's a song. So where it's like, oh, it's selfish. It's saying I, you know, like, 
Uh, we should never sing a song that starts with I or talks about us. It should all be in the second or the third person. Well, then you'd have, you couldn't sing the Psalms. You'd have to like, I mean, maybe like 10% of the Psalms. Because as the deer pants, so my soul longs for you, uh, is, is, is what the Holy Spirit inspired in the Psalms, okay? And when we come to God with our thirst and our hunger and we're, and, we're, and we're coming with that posture, we're saying, God, you are the all-satisfying being in the universe and the only place that I want to quench my intrinsic thirst for the divine is in you, not in idols. So it glorifies God to come and say, we're quenching our thirst on you, which you in John 7, Jesus invited us to do. You said, everyone who thirsts, come to me with your thirst. That's, that, I, I, I've implanted that thirst into you so that you thirst for the rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit that's going to flow through you when you come to know me. Okay? And then secondly, I love this song uh, by this couple called the Hesslers. And we sing in that transit often. And there's a refrain in that song where it goes, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll follow you anywhere you want to go. That song wrecks me every time, right? And what is that? That's an act of worship. What worship is, distinct from praise, praise is a part of worship, but all of life is worship. Worship is a surrendering of our, our, of our will unto the will of Jesus, saying, I'm no longer king, so I'm going to bend my knee and say that your will be done in my life. So when I, when I cry out in that song with all, with, you know, not perfectly, but with all the strength by the Spirit I can muster, I'm saying, I'm saying Jesus, I bend my knee to you, and if you call me to go, I will follow you anywhere you go. It's like, a, it's like a, a commitment that I'm making, that you're worth it. You're my king. I'm getting off the throne, and I'll follow you because you're worth it, Jesus. You're worthy. You're worth it, okay? So there's absolutely a call and response pattern in scripture, and, and, and if you ever hear someone say that, sure, we need to watch out for songs where all we're doing is saying, I, 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 and me, 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 absolutely, but at the same time, scripture give us, gives us the precedent. If we're commanded to sing the scriptures, then obviously we're going to sing songs that, that, uh, that like, our, our songs of supplication and intercession and asking God to come and move powerfully in our midst. So all that to say is this. Yes, our praise is to be God-centered and Christ-exalting, but not in a way where we're the legalistic praise police who, uh, who think that in praise that there's nothing on our end that we're to do, right? Um, but then secondly, here's a second principle that guides our praise is we want to be God-centered and Christ-exalting, but um, the second thing is, is this, is since the Bible, the Bible is God's revelation of, of, of himself to us. It's not, it's, it's for sure not the car manual to life, the thing that you shove in, shove in your <laughs> glove box and never read, as some pastor would use that illustration. It is God's revelation of his heart, his being, his nature, and his redemptive plan in Christ Jesus for uh, his people. That's what God's word is. And so if we want to rightly see God and not sing to false gods, we need to have proper doctrine. We need to have, right, like it's, it, theology and doctrine is extremely important because God has gone to great lengths to give us his word and to give us the revelation of his nature. So in order for us to rightly see God, in order to rightly respond and sing to God, our songs, the lyrics of our songs have to be marinated in and saturated in the word of God, okay? Have to be uh, marinated in and bathed in the word of God. Colossians 3.16 says this, and I think this is where we get these principles from. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He's saturated in the word of God, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. So we're kind of given three categories there. And the first one uh, we're given is psalms. So we're here, the apostle Paul is encouraging the early church, sing the scriptures, 
When you don't know what to sing, open up the Psalms and join uh, the, the chorus of King David and begin to sing the songs he sang. When we sang uh, the first song this morning, Our God is great and greatly to be praised. If you didn't like that song, it's, it's Psalm 145. We're singing the Psalms, right? And I will bless his name forever. That's a copy and paste, baby. That's what that is. So when we're singing the scriptures, that's different than a hymn. When we're singing the Psalms and singing the scriptures, that's a copy and paste. Like we're just copying and pasting and as the people of God honoring the songs that God has given us in his word and those are good songs to sing. Let's sing those songs, okay? Uh, by the way, if you want to listen to some good psalms, Shane and Shane, um, they have I think like 76 albums on the psalms. Those guys write a new album every two weeks. But if you want to listen to the psalms and sing the psalms, look up Shane and Shane. They have like 15 albums on the psalms. Um, but we're not only commanded to just sing the scriptures here. And Ephesians 5 says the same things. And hymns. Hymns. What are hymns? Well, hymns are different than singing the scriptures, singing the psalms. Hymns are not copy and paste from the word of God. They are songs that, that kind of spring up out of the soil of the word of God. Right? That's what that is. And, and this was written in the first century. When he says hymns, he's not talking about, you know, amazing grace. He's talking about uh, those, those first century hymns that the first century church would sing that, about Christ and his glory and the, and the creeds and all that, the, the beauty and the majesty of how Christ had revealed himself through the apostles. So those hymns are things uh, that are, that are bi those biblical saturated songs that aren't a copy and paste but are birthed out of the soil of scripture. And I would think that those would include uh, our modern understanding of hymns and also too a lot of contemporary praise music out there today that, that isn't, isn't in old English like the hymns but is Christ exalting and glorifying that we can worship. Uh, United Pursuit, that last song we sang. My, 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 that song was powerful. There is no one like you, God. That's, what, that's another way of saying you're holy. You're holy, holy, holy. See, it's, it's, it's beautiful. So we sing the Psalms, we sing the hymns, but there's a third category, spiritual songs. And before we just kind of gloss over that and neglect that, be like, that's weird. I don't know what that means. Well, here's, how do we figure out what that is? And, and biblical scholars would say, some of the scholars that I'm, I'm ripping this from would suggest, we're not clear. Scripture doesn't say. So, but with some of the suggestions there, some of the ideas there that will clearly a spiritual song isn't scripture because that's been named, isn't a hymn, aren't, aren't the, the lyrics birthed out of the scripture. So, so what, what they would suggest is that it's actually in the moment of worship, a spiritual song is a refrain or a chorus or a verse that's inspired by the Holy Spirit in the moment. That it's an inspired song that's given by the Holy Spirit as the people of God are worshiping and they begin to sing that refrain. And so as you've noticed in our worship gatherings and in our praise, we don't tend to rush from one song to the next. Why is that? Why is that? Here's why. Because in our, at the transit church, just cats out of the back, here's our aim with our praise. Here's our aim with our worship gathering is man, we want to be God-centered. We want to be Christ-exalting. We want to be Bible-saturated. And we also want to be led by the Spirit of the living God. And those are not in opposition together. Let's fix our eyes on God, the gospel, Christ. Let's open his word. Let's be saturated in the scriptures. And my, 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 let us, let us make sure that we do not quench the Spirit of God in our midst who is present with us. The scriptures tell us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians 5 says that we can quench the Spirit of God. You want to know how you would quench the Spirit of God? We say, Holy Spirit, you yield to our leadership. It's not the other way around. You have no voice here. You have no leadership here. You take a back seat. We have a great plan here. You stay silent in the corner. You're not welcome here. That's how you quench the Spirit of God. 
And what we see in Acts and what we see in the epistles to the Corinthians and, and, and the way the Spirit was moving powerfully is that the Lord was really in their midst, really working. And so the best thing that all of us, anyone on stage can do is to decrease and so that he can increase and to speak and to move because Christ died to tear the veil and pour out his Spirit upon the church. And when we gather, he often draws near, as we've seen, and begins to minister powerfully to us like he did this morning. My goodness, I looked at Joe and I said, I, I don't know how I'm going to preach, bro. I can barely move. I don't want to preach. I want to stay in worship. And that's the church I want to be at, where God draws near and his presence comes and the pastor can't even get up there to preach because Jesus is where all of our eyes are fixed. You're not coming here to listen to me preach. You're not coming here for good music. You're coming here to encounter the living God. That's the church I want to be at where he's speaking and he's moving and he's setting the demonized free and he's healing the sick and he's saving the lost and he's moving in our midst and he's doing all of those things. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so we, we intentionally want to create space in our corporate gathering for God to move because the church belongs to him. He bought it with his blood and then we relegate him to the front door. He owns the church, and we say, we're not welcome here. We don't want you. It's weird. It's uncomfortable for us. You've got to receive that word. I think it's from the Lord. The prophetess of the Lord spoke to me this morning in worship. He's calling us out of comfort, and he's calling us to callous knees. There's so much more that he has in store for us, church. So, We've got to rethink. We've got to rethink why we're here, what he's called us to do. Yes, there's power in the proclamation of the gospel, and I'll, I'll preach that gospel. The Son of Man crushed for the iniquities. Our iniquities were placed upon him so that we could go free and for the, for the great ultimate purpose that God could dwell in our midst and move in our midst. And he's given us the precious gift of his spirit and he is alive and he is on the move. And so we intentionally want to create space where we bend our knee to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and always surrendering your will makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, okay? Which is good for us because you want to know where the kingdom of God advances? the second you step outside your comfort zone. That's when the kingdom of God begins to advance. The kingdom of God does not advance in our comfort. He advances the second we get out of our comfort zone. Okay? So last point, and I'll, I'll wrap up with this. Um, how should we praise God? So we've looked at who, we've looked at when, we've looked at what should we sing. And last, we're going to look at how should we praise God. Well, one, we see uh, God wants uh, our whole heart, right? Psalm 111.1. Uh, uh, praise the Lord. I'll give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, with my whole heart. We've talked at length about this in the first sermon, in the purpose of praise, so go back to week one and, and listen to this, listen to that sermon, so I won't talk about it too much, but if we were to ask, well, what is wholehearted worship? Well, contrast is the mother of clarity. Well, uh, to answer that question, it certainly is not half-hearted worship. If God, if God wants us to worship him with our whole hearts, and that doesn't have to be a visible expression, you can be worshiping the Lord with your whole heart while you're seated and your, your hands are just kind of, you know, you're, you're just, you're, you're, you know what I'm saying? It's not always a visible manifestation, but it's sincerity. It's basically what a whole heart is. not saying that, you know, with one song I'm going to praise you, but behind my back, man, I'm, I'm hoping Pastor Nick wraps it up so I can uh, go watch some playoff football tonight for the glory of Jesus. Side note, go watch those Bill Chiefs highlights from last night. That game was crazy. All right. Side note. Okay. So what I'm going to talk about, not about hearts, but whole body, and I got to wrap up here, running out of time. But uh, we're going we're gonna to ask and answer the million-dollar question of what should we do with our body when we sing to Jesus, right? 
What should we do? And I think for some of us, the baseline assumption that we have is, is we just have this faulty assumption that the biblical norm for us to sing is to be quiet um, with our hands at our waist and, and only moving like, you know, two inches to the right and left. We think that's just a baseline norm. And actually, what I would say is that's more uh, uh, formed by the culture you're in than the scriptures. Because you go to the, you step out of the Western church and you tell them, uh, well, the regular principle says you can't dance and clap your hands and work. What are you, they're going to look at you like you're mad. What are you talking about? Right? I was at the Acts 29 Global Conference a couple of years ago, and they had one of their churches from Africa lead worship. And they taught us how to dance as they were singing, and it was awesome. And it was uncomfortable because, as you know, I'm a white dude, and I can't dance that good, okay? And so it was like, all right, do this thing, all right. Like, I'm into it, right? But that's how they worship God, and it's a pleasing aroma from the continent of Africa arising to the nostrils of the Lord. It's a pleasing aroma to him, right? And so we all have our different preferences, and, and I'm not saying that when we worship him and the quiet of our hearts and the quiet of our voices, that that's not also pleasing unto God. But I'm just saying his, his global church looks a whole lot different than just our cultural preferences, okay? So let's, let's see what God has to say. Uh, about what the biblical norm might look like. So the volume of our voice. Yes, there's a time to sing quietly, but should we only sing quietly and have Michael Bublé style of worship? Or should we also uh, be loud and full of gusto? Psalm 35, 27. There's a lot of verses I could share about this. says this, Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy. So when we were shouting in worship, that's what we were doing. We're saying, this verse says, he says, Shout for joy and be glad and say forever, forevermore, great is the Lord. He delights in your welfare. He delights in the welfare of his kids. So like a kid on Christmas morning who gets a gift saying, oh my gosh, God actually cares about me. He cares about my needs. He cares about my welfare. Hallelujah. I'll sing praises to his name. Uh, the volume, that's an uh, answer to the volume. Uh, we can shout for joy. Uh, instruments are instruments of the devil. Right? Gibson guitar, ACDC uses them. We need to, you know, like, is, is out of the devil. No. Psalm 153 and Psalm 155. Praise him with the trumpet, with the lute and the harp and the Gibson guitar. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with, praise him with loud, crashing cymbals. It's like the Lord saying, I like what I'm hearing. Turn it up. I like what I'm hearing, but I, I can't hear too loud. Let's raise up the volume a little bit. Sometimes I think the Lord kind of likes the volume to be turned up a little bit, judging by what he's saying in his word. Um, <laughs> clapping my hands. What do the scriptures have to say about clapping my hands? Is, is clapping hands only for that really like zealous person who starts clapping and then you're like, dang, do I join them? Do I not join them? How, how often do we fade out? Like, what do the scriptures have to say? Psalm 47 one says, a survey says, <laughs> clap your hands. <laughs> All people. And in case we forgot, shout to God with loud songs of joy, of joy. Kneeling, now kneeling, kneeling introspection, kneeling, bowing in reverence and all. What do the scriptures have to say about this? I have too many verses to share on this, and I'm not going to share them, but the, what I want to share is Ephesians 3.14. It 
where if you've read Ephesians, you know Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul just beautifully unpacks uh, everything that Jesus is and everything that he's done and everything that we are because of who Christ is for us. And then he concludes with this beautiful prayer before he goes to Ephesians 4 and 6 and talks about application. And this is how he starts his prayer after taking three chapters to behold the glory of Jesus and the glory of the gospel. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father because there's no God like my God. And there's no king like my king. Reverent, submission, silent weeping before the Lord is pleasing unto God. Raising of hands. <laughs> this isn't even the, the most uncomfortable one. I'm still going here. The raising of hands. What regulative principle theologians tell me this? What is the appropriate inch length above the waist to do with your hands? <laughs> Survey says, let's go to the scriptures. The Lord says, so I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will keep my hands in my pockets. I will lift up my hands. Lamentations 3, 41. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. 1 Timothy 2, 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands. Men should pray, and when they pray, lift up those holy hands, those hands cleansed by the blood of Jesus in prayer and praise. And what the raising of hands symbolizes is surrender, utter dependency upon God, basking in his glory. I was taking a walk yesterday in the freezing cold because I hit a roadblock in my sermonizing, and I was going on a walk with Jesus because apparently C.S. Lewis did that, and he would think and pray and take notes, and I'm like, well, if he did it, I absolutely need to do it. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking a walk with Jesus, and I'm praying about the sermon, and he says, stop, just behold creation. And I look at all these massive trees across the park. You just walk, there's a beautiful park across the way. Massive, like, oaks of righteousness, and there's no, what's interesting, there's no branches on the trunks. But then the Lord, as I was praying about this one point, all of a sudden, you see at the very top of these trees, boom! The branches raise their hands in worship. And in one, I was reminded, I was like, all of creation is praising God. But why are they doing that? Because their existence is only in relationship to the sun. And so what they're doing is they're trying to get as high and as wide with their hands to get all of the warmth and the glory that's radiating off of the burning sun is what they're doing. And because of that, that's why they're so dang high and so, and so sturdy is because they're saying, all that I can handle, all of you, for all of me, they're extending their hands in worship. Go take a walk and uh, let the Lord minister to your heart in that way. But it symbolizes surrender, utter dependency. When we go like this, it's often humility and receiving a gift. And there are just ways that we do that. And oftentimes it just comes from the heart and uh, through our hands. And lastly, and then I'll, I'll conclude here. Um, dancing or no dancing? Uh-oh. Oh, man. Oh, no. Is Pastor Nick about to tell us to start doing some holy dancing? I'm not, but God is. <laughs> Psalm 149.3. <laughs> Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with the tambourine and lyre. In Psalm 154, praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. And what biblical dancing is in the scriptures, and we see instances with King David and Miriam, is an, ex it's an expression of joy and triumph following God's activity and his grace shown uh, 
to people. Will you see me publicly dancing and praise to God? No, you will not ever because you don't want to see that. Um, but with that said, I'm going to wrap up. Um, yeah, with this. And I think it was 2018. Uh, and if you've heard me share this before, uh, Van, you can come forward. Van, you can come forward. Um, I was downtown D.C. It was game five of the Stanley Cup finals for the Washington Capitals. All the metro D.C. area was outside the Cap Stadium there watching it either in bars or on the, uh, the big screens outside the stadium. It was uh, uh, the, the Stanley Cup Finals, the Washington Capitals, a team I grew up watching from a young age, grew up playing hockey. I loved the Capitals, and every year I would see them lose to the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, the, the great enemies of uh, the Washington Capitals, and it, was, it would grieve my soul. And there came uh, a moment where they won the Stanley Cup. And uh, we're all gathered outside the stadium, a bunch of strangers that we don't know. And we see this Russian guy we've never met who uh, is really good at putting a rubber puck in the back of a net and makes millions of dollars for doing it. And there comes a moment, I'll never forget it, where he takes Lord Stanley Cup. And when he hoists that over his head, symbolizing the victory that he accomplished for Washingtonians, they went nuts. I went nuts. I hopped on my friend's back. I started smacking his backside like he was a donkey. And we went. And I was high-fiving everybody in sight. I was like, well, we did it. We won. Oh, my gosh. And what's so fascinating is there were, there were no praise police there. There were some police because it got a little rowdy. But there weren't any praise police saying, that's too far. Shut up. That's too loud. Or, you know, don't celebrate the victory that's been won. It was a natural response to the victory that was won. A natural response. And there are ways that uh, we can praise that aren't edifying to God, like dancing on fire trucks or setting dumpsters on fire like they did. Um, but how much more, this is always what just, what just grieves my heart internally. When I was downtown and I'm more excited about something that's not gonna last for eternity, um, something that really doesn't matter, right? And I'm losing my mind. Everybody's losing my mind. And there's, there's joy in that, common grace, right? Like cheer for them. I still got a, the banner of the caps in my office. Like, like you know, like, uh, but, but why not the gospel? Why not the victory? Where instead of someone hoisting a trophy that's gonna rust and fade away over their head, we see that there's an empty grave. And we're forever united to the one who, who fought our battle for us, purchased our salvation and our freedom so that we can come here gathered knowing that there's no condemnation, there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no regret. All those worst memories, those things that make you wince, they're all washed by the blood of God. We know that forever we're going to spend eternity in his presence. And we know that today, transit family received this is that is a day where we are receiving his mercies that are never ending. They're new every morning. And so with that said, Sam Storms has this beautiful quote. I'm going to conclude our praise series with this quote. And then we're going to dive into Acts next week. And he, he says, he defines praise this way. And I think it's so beautiful. And I want to share it uh, and end our time with it. He says, praise is the joyful, loud response of all that we are. See that line? All that we are in adoration, celebration, and enjoyment of all that God is. 
of all that God is to us. And so let me pray, and then we'll dive into communion and worship. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, God. You're a great God. You're greatly to be praised. We thank you, Lord, that we have so much to rejoice about. We thank you, Lord, that we have so much to sing about. We thank you, Lord, that we have so um, uh, much hope in you, Christ Jesus, that you've precious, preciously given us, graciously given us, Lord God. So we love you, Lord God, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word that always points us to you, always points us to fix our gaze upon you. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you come and open our eyes and soften our hardened hearts, Lord God, to, to see and to hear and to believe and to know the depths of your love for us in Christ Jesus. And so would you come, Holy Spirit, and do that and warm our affections for you. And would you loose our song, God? Would you loose our song for those that, like the context of lamentation, are in a season of just darkness and stress and anxiety and depression or oppression, Lord Jesus, that you would minister your healing grace upon them now. You'd remind them of the truth of the gospel and they're standing with you, Lord God, and that um, you, you would loose their song in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the storm, Lord God, for you are a God who fights on our behalf and you are in our midst, Lord God. And you say, Lord God, that those who set their minds on you, you grant them perfect peace. And so we love you, God. We pray your blessing over the remainder of our time today, Lord God, and we pray that you would uh, receive the worship that's due your name uh, both today and forevermore in our lives. And all God's people say, amen.